Hi, everybody. Welcome to December 20th, 2019 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. You've heard me say this before. There's sometimes you just have an instinct before a program starts. That you're in the right vibe. It's, it's just going to go well. Uh, make sure your seatbelt is buckled for this one, folks. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let's get a quick take on U.S. Senate candidate Andrew Romanoff's literal scorched earth television ad. The ad depicts a family living underground in the not-so-distant future due to climate change. Patty Calhoun from Westward, this ad made the Terminator look like a romantic comedy. <laughs> Where is Andrew Romanoff going with this thing? Going dark and going dark early. This was his first campaign television ad, and you wonder exactly why he decided to go so far on it. Obviously, take on Hickenlooper, showing Hickenlooper drinking fracking fluid. I mean, he's, he's definitely carving out a spot as the climate change fighter, but... If it's so hot in Colorado Springs, it was 127 degrees, according to the ad, why is everyone wearing winter coats? <laughs> <laughs> An excellent question, and the, the kind of insight I expect from you, Patty, being able to see that through the ad. Uh, Joey Bunch, uh, Deputy Managing Editor at Colorado Politics, thank you so much for joining us. It is a, a very special treat to have you here, especially in holiday gear. Uh, Joey, uh, the only thing that was missing was a mushroom cloud and uh, maybe some robots stomping on some skulls. Other than that, it was pretty complete. What did you think of the ad? Well, I think it got a lot of attention, and that was that was the the point of doing it. You know, I've been looking for uh, for good boys and girls all week, and I sure didn't find one on television with that ad. But you know, it did what it needed to do, which was to remind people that Andrew Romanoff is running for governor. You know, Hickenlooper has sucked all the oxygen out of the room, and uh, this put some oxygen back in it. Granted, it was hot air. Uh, hot air indeed. Eric Sonnen, political analyst and weekly columnist at Colorado Politics. Eric, over your long career, esteemed career, you have advised a lot of campaigns and probably had a lot of ideas pitched to you for your, uh, your point of view. If someone set you down for your advice before they release this and say, hey, we're thinking about this, Eric, what do you think? What's your response in your very one-person focus group? Yeah, well, I've been out of the business for a number of years, and particularly ever since Trump completely changed the rules of the game. So who knows what the rules are? Obviously, Andrew Romanoff is working off a completely uh, different rule book than anything I ever uh, encountered. I think from a very practical, pragmatic point of view, if I'm an Andrew Romanoff voter and I sit down to watch this ad on his website and maybe watch it a few times because I'm really, really into Andrew, I'm probably not around for Election Day because I off myself uh, before then. Uh, I end it all. This thing is so dark, so dy dystopian. Um, it's, I mean, and to particularly put it out during the holiday season, yes. a season of light. Uh, this is a dark ad in a season of marginal light. <laughs> Rounding up the panel, Natasha Gardner, articles editor at 5280. Uh, Natasha, the uh, usually scorched earth campaign is a fun metaphor to throw around an election, not an actual literal strategy. <laughs> but uh, maybe I'm missing the boat here. What do you think? No, I mean, as I was watching the, the ad for the first time, it reminded me there was this made-for-TV movie in the 80s called The Day After, and it was all about nuclear war, and I was having flashbacks to that, and I'm like, I'm going to be a little kid having nightmares again. However, I will say this. I mean, we can, we can tease about this all we want, but climate change is obviously going to be a big issue in this election election. And he's smart, and I think his campaign is smart in setting himself up to be the person who's going to talk about this. The convenience of this ad is it allowed him to actually go after Hickenlooper and distance himself from his his um, campaign and also go after Gardner at the same time. So he gets two, two with, with one stone. So 
So I, I don't know. It's gotten him a lot of headlines, which I think is part of the point, is that suddenly his name at the end of the year is in headlines again, being talked about on shows. And, and I think people are going to be interested and check it out. Uh, interested and check it out uh, very well. But uh, wh- how they walk away from it will be interesting to watch. You're right, Natasha. President Donald Trump was officially impeached by the U.S. House this week. Colorado's own Congresswoman Diana DeGette presided over the day-long debate proceedings. President Trump now faces a trial in the Senate. Uh, Patty, last week we had uh, Representatives uh, Buck and Nagoose. Uh, this week we had Representative Diana DeGette in front and center. Uh, what did you think of these different Colorado elected leaders and their portion of the, their 15 minutes of uh, fame around this impeachment uh, trial, or proceedings rather? Well, all fascinating to watch until all of a sudden we've got a grinding halt. Since things haven't been filed, we have like impeach interruptus. You can't quite tell what is going to happen over the holiday season since Pelosi hasn't filed this. I thought Diana DeGette did a really good job. She's always kind of school marmy when she's speaking, and that was exactly what they needed to keep people in order and whack them with the ruler occasionally when they were talking too loud or grandstanding, going on too long, and there was a lot of grandstanding. It was nice to see Ken Buck come out of his office where he'd been hiding, allegedly his office. He just hadn't been in the committee room for a lot of this to come speak. Joe Neguse definitely is the one who heaped a lot of of, uh, att- got a lot of attention and generally did pretty well when he was speaking to the press. Got a lot of FaceTime, um, as obviously poor Diana DeGette did. She barely got to move for 12 hours. <laughs> uh, Joey, how does this whole circus affect the representatives? We'll go to the senators later, but the representatives involved, uh, is it a boost for them when they come back to their districts? Is it a detriment, a little bit of both? How do you think it affects them here in Colorado? No, I think it was good for the Colorado representatives. I mean, Ken Buck is playing to his audience, and it's an audience of uh, Republicans that like that kind of uh, fire and brimstone. But Joe Neguse, we know who Joe Neguse is now, Diana DeGette. You know, Trump said the other day, it doesn't feel like I'm being impeached. I don't know what it's supposed to feel like, but maybe it feels like you go on go do a rally that night and you criticize a dead man and say that he's in hell, you know, Charles Dingle. But you know, what we lost in the last two weeks during this impeachment hearing is Melania Trump's book came out and she said that Roger Stone is the one that released naked pictures of her to create a distraction for the campaign. What a weird presidency. I mean, the impeachment fits right in there. Remember when Jimmy Carter did that? No, you don't, because this is that kind of presidency. I'm not surprised by impeachment, and I'm not surprised that Joe Neguse and Diana DeGette and Ken Buck, to a degree, scored big points this week. Eric, what do you think about, uh, with all these different Colorado leaders being front and center, is is there an effect afterwards, whether it's locally or nationally? Does anybody walk away with this that's been part of this front and center attitude with something to hang their hat on? I think if if the answer is yes, I'm not sure it is, Dominic, but if the answer is yes, it's probably Jonah Goose. I think he used this more than anyone else to to really get on the map. And there's even some discussion that uh, Pelosi may name him one of the impeachment managers, which is basically one of the prosecutors who presents the case in the Senate trial. We'll see if that happens. But I think Neguse has boosted himself more than anyone. I thought Diana, to get to Patty's point, uh, more than acquitted herself in a tough role. And it's probably a role she was sort of born for, as, as Patty indicated. It's not a role of particular influence, but it was to preside over the House during a... Uh, obviously a critical and historic day. I was taken in just watching the, um, uh, some, uh, some of that day's proceedings. 
just that we're operating in two different worlds. You could even watch these representatives, even before they took the microphone, before they were introduced by their respective floor leader, and with 95 degree percent, percent degree of certainty, you knew which side they were on. There are two different worlds out there. There are two different alternate sense of, sense of reality, uh, in one of which Donald Trump is unfairly accused and a conquering hero, and and the other world in which he's corrupt and completely unfit for the office. I don't know how you reconcile uh, those two worlds. Ultimately, I wrote a column this week. I think the impeachment was, you know, unfortunate in many respects, but constitutionally it was something that needed to happen. You cannot explain away or rationalize his conduct. And impeachment is in the Constitution for a reason, and this is the reason. Natasha, we, I, I did a little bit of preview in talking to Joey. I'm going to give you the, the senator's part. We knew, mm -hmm. we saw the representatives, and, and pretty much fitting to role. Some of them taking advantage more than others, like, like Representative DeGoose. If, it, if we're assuming it heads to the Senate now, um, we have uh, two very different senators, and Senator Bennett, Senator Gardner, uh, both of whom are trying, uh, in a national spotlight, I'm not sure if Gardner wants it, Bennett certainly would like it. Uh, what do you see ahead for the two of them as this, eventually, theoretically, proceeds to the Senate? I don't think we're going to see any big surprises. I think that we could have made a prediction about this two weeks ago or two months ago, and they're going to behave in that way. And I think that's with a lot of these proceedings, is that it's gone uh, as planned or as expected. And I think that's just sort of politics today, as, as Eric was, was discussing. I think an interesting thing for me, too, watching these, these hearings happen and watching this play out, just thinking about, I've heard a lot of people talk about how, you know, this, this harms the presidency, this harms the country. And, I mean, certainly you can make those arguments, but also this has become more the norm than not. If you're a voter who is 40 years old or younger, you start out in your voting life um, during those Clinton impeachment years. And, and then after that, we go through Gore v. Bush and there's just episode after episode where our, polit our political world has changed so dramatically that sort of the sanctity of, of that, that office and what it means has definitely been in question for a long time. So I think I've been surprised by how many people have been shocked that this is happening because for me, it feels like it's been building up for many, many decades. It's a far, I, I totally agree. It's far less shock and much more deja vu. It's just another Hollywood reboot. I saw the show before. It was in the 90s and it was based on something they ripped off from the 70s. But anyway... Some members of the Colorado Press got their holiday wish granted this week after pushing for the regents of the University of Colorado to disclose the full list of candidates for the recent CU president search. Someone leaked it to them. Four Republican regents are now requesting an investigation into the leak. Joey, as uh, an uh, award-winning journalist, I am sure you've benefited from more than one leak to the news. So uh, what did you think about the story? Well, I, you know, I benefited from a leak because the letter that they were doing this investigation was leaked to me, and I broke that story this week. But, you know, the weird thing about this leak is it's not a leak yet. We haven't seen the story. And a lot of what happens with this is going to depend on what the uh, independent does with this list. If they run the list of names, you know, I, you know, on one hand, the press depends on leaks. We depend on whistleblowers. But on the other hand, people applied for this job expecting it to be confidential and that their current employers weren't 
wouldn't find out that they were looking around. And I think any of us who applied for a job while we had a job knows that feeling. So it depends on what the independent does with it. You know, on the other hand, I think that this investigation is aimed at chilling whistleblowers, that they don't want anybody else coming forward. And remember, this was a very controversial pick, this University of Colorado president. They picked a very conservative former congressman, and we don't know, and he was the only finalist. So we don't know who they, uh, who they beat. I think if the independent characterizes those people, it's one story. If they run the list of names, it's another story. Eric, again, I think Jim makes a good point. We don't know a lot of details, but that the fact that four Republican regions came out to say we need an investigation and come right to it, and it wasn't all the regions saying this was a problem, it tells us something. What do you take from that? Well, it tells us that the balance of power in terms of partisanship on the Board of Regents has changed. Uh, because I believe when Mark Kennedy got the job, the Republicans were in the majority, which is, I believe, why he secured the job as a former Republican congressman, uh, etc. There's a danger to having single finalists, but I know that's the norm, whether you're talking about college presidents, university presidents, or school superintendents, or whatever. But, you know, they're not really a finalist at that point. They're the heir apparent at that point, and it's just going through a public process uh, that is mandated. Mainly it tells me that the rift that was evident within the CU system when Kennedy was appointed a job, that rift is not healed. That rift goes on, and that's why somebody uh, dropped a dime on Susan Green and gave her the list. Natasha, you're another award-winning journalist at the table. Uh, seeing the situation, how, how it's playing out, uh, how do you expect CU, uh, maybe the, the administration and other people involved to react? Well, if they certainly thought the story was going away, it's not. And it wasn't going to go anyway, away anyways, because there were other venues and lawsuits going on to obtain this list, regardless of it being leaked or not. So um, it's a story that's going to continue, because I think people still have questions about how this, this particular name was chosen. I think the interesting thing for me is, is this shift to how partisan this position, the Regents, has become. And that's, I think, one of the biggest parts of this story that maybe needs to be told or, or developed a little bit more, because how how important is it that someone is Democrat or Republican for a public university system position where you're overseeing the educational institution for the state students? I mean, that's, I think, the ultimate question that, that, that people are going to ask. And it's going to be a question that we have to deal with because, guess what? We have more elections coming. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that rumor. I have heard that rumor. Uh, Patty, you are our third award-winning journalist. I didn't want to forget you, award-winning journalist at the table. So uh, you look at this. You, you've seen the back and forth at CU, especially with the Regents. Is is this a different season, or is this this is not the first time we've seen controversial headlines with the regions? Uh, what do you think is going to happen? Well, it's going to go beyond the regions because this is not the only inglorious thing done at CU this week and last week. Uh, Mark Kennedy, his choice was really kind of baffling to a lot of people, especially if you looked at the court coverage he'd gotten in when he was um, North Dakota, when mm-hmm. he was the president of the, of the university there. And now, so it is not just, you know, the regions think they're going after the leak, which is never good. You are not supposed to kill the messenger. But they also have restructured how they're doing the student newspaper at CU. And this is really a concern where they have an independent paper, the CU Independent. They've been working on it. They restructured it a couple of years ago. Now they're pulling back. They're not going to fund that program 
Gail Asakawa has been the student advisor of that, and they're going to have something that maybe will be tied much closer to the administration. So CU, which should be as the flagship university of Colorado, should be championship should champion transparency and freedom of the press, and they're locking down on all corners. Radio station 710 KNUS canceled its Chuck and Julie show this week after host Chuck Bonnewell made a comment about school shootings. After describing the impeachment hearing as boring, Chuck said, quote, you wish for a nice school shooting to interrupt the impeachment coverage, end quote. Uh, Eric, uh, the cancellation of the show seemed like a slam dunk, at least on the Chuck side of things. I don't know if uh, Julie Hayden kind of got caught up in that, uh, uh, that wave, but... The, the, the apology, non-apology that, uh, that uh, uh, Chuck Bonilla released on Twitter and the fact that 17 King U.S., I know there's that whole phrase of any press is good press, but I can't imagine the program director at 17 King U.S. feels that way for the last four weeks. Uh, what, did you see, what did you think when you saw this all go down? Well, it's been a wild ride for uh, KNUS uh, from the, the Craig Silverman and a number of the personalities involved have occupied seats around this table mm-hmm. over the years. Chuck Bonnewell, I think, not regularly, but a show or two long time ago, many, many years ago. Uh, but from, from Craig Silverman, uh, then, uh, you know, the issue about a podcast hosted by ostensible neo-Nazis, Stefan Tubbs, who I always want to give the benefit of the doubt to because there's something about Stefan I like, but why he has this guy Kirk Widland as a producer who seems to have definite neo-Nazi ties, it's enough to make me wonder if KNUS at the initial stand for, you know, K Nazis are us. Um, and I don't think that's the brand uh, that, they, uh, that they really wanted. Obviously, Chuck Bonwell, I know we all say things on the air and we're moving quickly and it's done in real time. It's not taped where you can go back and, and fix the tape. And we all make mistakes, but it's hard to contemplate what was going through Chuck's head where that is what came out of his mouth. I just don't understand it. There's no understandable, positive, explainable formulation you can put on it, and somehow uh, the Denver metropolitan area will move forward and get by without that particular program. Natasha, one of the uh, elements, I guess, that was in the apology, non-apology from Bonnewell was the fact that, you know, sorry I didn't get my joke. Well, (laughs) there's a lot of things you can joke about, and and poorly placed jokes happen on radio and TV all the time. But I think everybody understands there's places you don't go, and to not recognize that this was not a place I need, that, that could go, especially, that, that doesn't play in any state in the nation, but especially here. Especially here, especially, and if you look back on 2019, I mean, this is a year where we looked at and saw the 20th anniversary of the Columbine shootings. Um, we had our DPS schools shut down because threats of violence. I mean, in the very week that his joke is made, we have schools that are shut down because of security threats in our state, across this country. I mean, if anything, I wish I could yield my time on this entire answer just to the topic of, of school violence and why years later we can very quickly make a decision to pull a show off of an error but still have, have yet to find really good long-term solutions for school safety. You know, we still are in a country where we're putting kindergartners, asking kindergartners to make better choices about how to stay safe in a school than we are about making big decisions for our country. So, like I said, perhaps I'm just yielding my time to a bigger topic that really needs it. Natasha, well said. I completely agree. The fact that we have kindergartners going through drills like that, we haven't figured out anything else out yet. Uh, Well said. Uh, Patty, like I said, I, I don't know the program director at KNUS personally, but I got to believe uh, the whatever he keeps in his desk drawer, whether it be uh, Maalox or something stronger, he's gone through a couple <coughs> bottles in the last couple of weeks. 
Uh, he's strong faith, and he's going to need it. My reporters have spoken to him. So th- starting with Craig Silverman, which was still one of the weirder episodes ever because from being pulled off the air because of Trump to maybe being pulled off the air because he was taking another job, no one's ever come to the bottom of that yet. Interestingly, Kirk Woodland, the alleged neo-Nazi, is, was his producer. So... Um, we did a report on Kirk t- this week, too, and it, when you really look through everything, it's hard to believe that it, someone manufactured this to get him, because why is he the one they're going to get? You're in this state where Allen Berg was killed be- by neo-Nazis because he spoke his mind, because he spoke up, great talk show radio host. You really cannot have this at a talk show radio, too. So um, Chuck Bonnewell, also according to the program director, they were going to pull the plug on the Chuck and Julie show at the end of the year anyway. So this made it kind of convenient to go a little early. But you do not make jokes that are that bad without groveling immediately afterwards. And if you don't understand that this was not a joke people should have gotten because it's nothing to joke about, you have no business being on the air. Joey, I asked my producers, we were figuring out how to talk about this topic, I go, how would you like to be the uh, ad sales rep for the uh, Glenwood Cherry Creek uh, uh, Chronicle, Chronicle. Uh, the the paper that uh, Chuck Bonnewell runs? It's got to be an awkward day after, uh, but I'll just go to you. you. Between being in the press and knowing what it's like to speak out in public, what'd you take away from what you saw? Well, I wasn't surprised at all. I mean, Chuck, I, I do that show from time to time, and, and Chuck frequently says things that stop me in my track, and I, and I frequently argue with him. You know, I want to say here, though, that good for Jason Salzman. Here's a guy who listens to all these shows. You know, I got the Colorado Springs, one of the radio stations down there was, I heard trash in me, and I checked with Eric and found out that they called me a Denver Post maggot. Maggot? Okay, but come on. <laughs> Denver Post? I haven't been there in three years. But... You know, so good for Jason Salzman for doing this work and in getting his uh, his moment in the sun. You know, he does some of the best work out there, I believe. But, uh, you know, and Julie, here's Julie, here's Chuck's wife, Julie, who, uh, you know, the times that Chuck and I have really gone on, gone at each other on that show, Julie has kind of been in the middle. And I've decided that I want to be a Julie in a Chuck world. <laughs> I couldn't imagine a better phrase than that, uh, Joey. Uh, well put, as always. Uh, let's get to our favorite part of the show. It's uh, uh, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. Whoever set up the debate for CNN last night, the sound system, I don't know if everyone else noticed, but you've got Andrew Wayne going, wait, I'm over here, I'm over here. Or Elizabeth Warren, who couldn't hear her name being called to give the final speech, which basically made her just seem as doddering as half the other people up there seemed. At the very least, on a debate like that, get the sound right, get the cues up. Especially since that's been a recurring theme. The, from the very first get-go, the very first debate had terrible audio and people not knowing if their names were called. You would think that would be some sort of a lesson for what, the, the eighth one later that could have been solved. I, and there are only seven people on the stage, yeah. so you should have been able to find Andrew, Andrew Wang. <laughs> you like to think so. Joey. Uh, the president of Brazil, who this week, he's got massive wildfires in the Amazon, but he determined they're fake news. Is that where we are? Fake news is anything that you don't want to believe. You know, I'm losing my hair. That's fake news. That ball spot <laughs> on top of my head, all your imagination. It's a hoax. It's a scam. Thank never, you, President Trump. I, I never realized what kind of innovative pioneer Baghdad Bob was. The guy in the Iraq with the tanks behind him. Hey, everything's great here. We're actually winning the war. He was a trendsetter. I had no idea. There you go. Eric. 
since we have a, a little bit of time here, I'm just going to add on to Patty's first. It was not only an audio problem, it was a video problem. They had the crawl across the, the whole screen, the whole backdrop to the set was moving, and many people found that terribly annoying and confusing or whatever. So it was video as well as audio. Real quickly, our president, which you can probably cite most weeks, but his continued insistence that this phone call on July 25th with the Ukraine was quote unquote perfect. And I understand that's part of his brand, give no quarter, give no inch. But there's no one who can, he insults his constituents, he insults the American people when he continues to hold to that line. If you want to defend that this was not an impeachable offense, that's a point of view and you can certainly make that case. But quit insulting us by telling us that this was a perfect phone call. Natasha. Poor RTD has had a lot of bad headlines this week, and we're just going to finish out the year with news that they're probably going to, or there's proposed service cuts um, throughout the metro area. It's, like I said, it's been a tough year for them, but with a city that's experienced as much growth as we have, it seems like, you know, the graphs are going in the wrong direction here. Yes. And I will add a disgrace to the week, adding myself. I want to thank a Colorado Winston Out viewer who called and realized that last week I was wrong when I said an Estes Park recall failed, and that was a model that the folks in Idaho Springs were, were following. In fact, the recall effort in Nessus Park actually succeeded. So I was wrong last week, and thank you to the CIO viewer who called me on that. We would offer more corrections every week, but it's only a half an hour show. So <laughs> let's get to say something nice. Patty. The Colorado Media Project, which organized a campaign, News Colorado Needs, where 18 different media outlets, if you donate to them, subscribe, become a member, it will be, be doubled. Your amount will be doubled this month. And we have, are starting a noble experiment at Westward. We are doing an ad-free website. If you become a member, you do have to pay a nominal fee. You can get all of Westward without the ads this month, and your membership will be doubled. But for those of you, like you, Dominic, who want to see all the pot ads, you can just pick <laughs> it up for free in print, go online. It'll always be free. As a non-commercial TV guy, like, I, I yearn for the, all the different pot ads. So that, I'm glad that both are available, Patty. Joey. Uh, Denver Parking Patrol. My friend Andrew Kinney had a story recently about that the Denver had written fewer parking tickets almost at a record low. And why I'm bringing that up now is I parked in a two-hour spot for three hours the other day, the last hour without paying anything, and I didn't get a ticket. Finally, I fought the law, and I won. <laughs> Eric. I hope Joey's right, because I'm parked halfway illegally out front <laughs> right as we tape this show. So uh, ho hopefully Joey's got this on the mark. Uh, the Denver Post, there's much to criticize about that newspaper these days. It's shrinking, and obviously most of the fault starts with bad ownership. But they have done one heck of a series on metro metropolitan districts and the abuse of those districts and just how they're structured and how they benefit developers and, and, and end up often screwing homeowners, and kudos to the Post. You're here. Natasha. We spent a lot of time complaining about DIA this year, and while there may be cables hanging out of the ceiling and construction everywhere, I'm always amazed by how often your bags come out without a problem, flights get off. I mean, as we hit these holiday, this holiday season and people are traveling everywhere, kudos to the people who make DIA run, from the baggage handlers to the Uber drivers to everyone else. Who may, and, and let's extend that to the city. There's a lot of people who do important work. 
Here, here. Next week, we'll bring you our annual year-in-review year show replete with our best holiday sweaters. Not nearly as good as the Santa outfit, but pretty good. And on January 3rd, don't miss our look ahead to 2020 and a variety of predictions sure to go wrong. On behalf of everyone here at CPT12 and Colorado Inside Out, we hope you all have a very Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, a way out solstice, or simply just a nice week of peace and quiet. For everyone here at CPT12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night. Thank you.